Craig Hostetler, welcome to the Black Sheep Experience. This is episode number 14. I believe this is 14. Oh, man. I, You know, actually, I had missed a week or two. My apologies. I've just been so swamped with life, man. And I have missed a week or two. So let's see. Yeah, this is episode number 14. So thank you guys so much for joining me today. Again, my apologies for, uh, I don't know, I think I missed last week. So here's what happened last week, all right? Uh, Every year, my wife and I, uh, Gina, just beautiful woman. Uh, So my wife and I, Gina, we go down to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and we just have a blast uh, during their little kind of Halloween uh, extravaganza. And and so we do that every year, and we did that this year. Now, in Eureka Springs, if you've never been to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, uh, you're missing something. I mean, it is the coolest town in the United States, really. It is just this awesome, tiny, little Victorian town. Uh, all these Victorian homes... Uh, Victorian shops. It's in the Ozark Mountains, and it's just the most eclectic a little community, and we absolutely love it. And so we go down there every year. Now, we've been doing this, okay, so the Halloween thing we've been doing for maybe five or six years, but we've been going to Eureka Springs for a good 22, uh, almost 23 years, and uh, man, it is the coolest town. I really want to encourage you, uh, if nothing else, no matter where you're at in the country, go check out Eureka Springs uh, online. Check it out. See what it's all about. We love it. So anyway, uh, every now for the past four or five years, every year we go down during the Halloween season and we dress up. Uh, in characters, and we go to the Shin Digs, and <laughs> they've got all kinds of stuff down there going on, a zombie crawl parade thing, and then there's several hotels that claim to be haunted, and then uh, there's all, just all kinds of things going on, so we just have an absolute blast with that. So that obviously was last week, and so we went down and we did that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, yeah, so that was awesome. We really, uh, dude, I, both of us just love that little town. If there was a way, if there was a better, more sustainable way to maintain life, I'm talking economically, um, health, uh, all those kinds of things. I don't know what would stop me from moving there. It's just such a great place. So we just love it. And that's what we did all last week. And so I was going to podcast from Eureka Springs. I have a book that I'm writing. I've been writing it for about a year now, maybe a little bit longer. And one of the chapters I wrote is actually about Eureka Springs. And I wrote it while I was there. Um, Anyway, this is a 
it's just the greatest little place. So that's what we did all last week. So I don't think I podcast did a podcast last week. And nonetheless, here I am. And so I'm back with you guys. Now, next week, we're going to have Kent Dobson on the show. Uh, Kent Dobson wrote Bitten by a Camel, uh, also was the pastor at Mars Hill, also did the first century NIV study Bible, also, also, also a bunch of stuff. He is a really awesome person. So <clears throat> I would encourage you to check that out. So that'll be on next week's program. But this week, uh, episode number 14... We want to revisit this guy named Dionysus the Areopagite. Now, uh, some pronounce the last half of his word as Areopagite. Uh, I'm calling him Areopagite. I don't care how you pronounce it. The dude said some really cool things. And so that's what I'm going to talk about this week. Uh, before we jump into that, also remember... Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Jump online, follow us. If you are following us already, thank you. Um, but also let everybody know that you're listening. I really appreciate it. You know, the only way to <clears throat> really make a podcast successful in this time is with uh, listener support. And I don't mean financially. What I mean by that is uh, you guys letting everybody else know that we're out here, liking us um, on the social media platforms, and also going to iTunes and Google Play and rating the podcast, as well as giving a solid review. So there you go, man. All right, let us move into our conversation for today. So Dionysus the Areopagite, um, he wrote several, he, he's a mystic really, and he wrote several, uh, he's got several writings, and one of those writings is called the Divine Names, and it is from that writing that I would like to read to you today. Uh, by the way, in case, uh, I think I mentioned this once before, but the way that I do my podcast is in a very unprofessional manner. So it's just like you and I are sitting around uh, at a table talking, right? So I'm sitting here with a large glass of wine uh, in the underground, right? Surrounded by candles, rock albums, and uh, an iPad. And so you and I are just kind of hanging out and that's what we're doing together. But in case, maybe somewhere in the conversation, you may have said, dude, uh, what did you guys dress up like in Eureka Springs? So my wife went as Medusa and I went as Poseidon. Yeah, we went the Greek Roman God thing and uh, Gina won first place. She won first place. That's how great her costume was, and that's how great she looked in it. So that was kind of cool, man. She won some change uh, for first place. So, yeah, wow, that was really cool. She's really artistic, crafty kind of individual. So she did a great job on her costume. If you want to know what we looked like, you can always jump onto Instagram, and uh, you go to Craig Hostetler because all of those Picks are posted on my personal Instagram. So Craig Hostetler, and you can see I've got several images posted there. 
including a pool game where she, my wife, lost uh, two out of three games. So she won one, I won two. Uh, nonetheless, I digress to Dionysus the Areopagite. So this is what Dionysus had to say. Uh, and I and I really dig this. God is love. He is the ecstasy of love, overflowing outside himself, enabling creatures to share in his life. Through his life, they share the same overflowing force, which we see already displayed in Eros, the love of man and woman, and which is designed to be perfected in holiness, in conscious fellowship with him, who is the fullness of and the beauty and goodness. Uh, what a cool statement by Dionysus. So Dionysus says God is love. Now, obviously Dionysus isn't the first to say this. Uh, this is also found in the Holy Scripture, right? Um, but he expounds upon this and he says this love that God has, it's an ecstasy. It overflows even himself. Um, and it enables creatures to share, talking about you and I, in his life. And it's the same kind of force that we see displayed in eros, which is a Greek word. Now, the Greeks had a lot of different words for love. You've heard some of them. I won't go through them all. There's four or five, I think. But eros is an erotic, passionate, uh, desiring type of love. There's agape and several others, but agape is probably the one you're most familiar with. But in this context, Dionysus says that um, we see the, the love of God displayed in the same way it's displayed in eros or eros uh, for the love of man and woman, right? And so he's saying that God has a passionate and intense desire for the people that he loves, he wants to be close to them. He wants to be intimate with them. He wants to hold them. He wants to have a relationship with them that is much more than mechanical, uh, but it is a relationship that is full of passion, full of intimacy, full of desire, full of... Um, feeling, emotion, all those kinds of things that I think oftentimes we subtract from the heart of God. So Dionysus makes sure to include that the kind of love that God feels for us is the same kind displayed in the eros or eros kind of love that we see between a man and a woman. And that it's this conscious fellowship, this knowing um, that we're connected to him and he is the fullness of beauty and he is the fullness of goodness. <clears throat> now, the reason that I like this is because I think that we can place this in a, um, in a relatable way. Some of us have been fortunate enough to fall in love with someone who... You know, any any human relationship isn't perfection, right? Any human relationship has its flaws, its deficiencies. Um, each member of that relationship has flaws and deficiencies. But nonetheless, there are those relationships that 
there's an intense passion, an intense desire, uh, not only to be sexually uh, connected, but intimately connected, right? I want to know you. I want to know what you think. I want to spend time with you. I want to hold your hand. I want to look at your face. I, you know, when I see you smile, it, 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 uh, you know, it, it, something rises up within me. It brings me joy. There's this Eros kind of love that is very passionate and very desirable. And that's what Dionysus says, the kind of love God has for us. Now, most oftentimes people say God has a love for us, with, which is an agape love, uh, which is a love without condition. And I agree with that 100%. But I also agree that God has a love for us that is passionate and desirable. Uh, and I'm going to come back to that. If you could hold that thought for a moment. If you could write down in an honest way, what you feel about God or what you think that God feels about you, what would you say? Would you, um, would you say God loves me? God's crazy about me. God is passionate for me. God desires me. God pursues me. God is just enamored with me. Or would the descriptions of that relationship be more along the lines of someone like Augustine or Augustine? Um, and I apologize for giving all these pronunciations, but if I don't say them right, people are going to bust my butt for it. So I now have learned to pronounce words in the various ways they've been pronounced. But for our purposes, Augustine, who took a very narrow, short-sighted, derogatory view of mankind. He thought we were very much beneath God, below God, and that God despised us but through the blood of Christ. But then there are others like Dionysus, who says, nah, you know, God loves us. He's crazy about us. He desires us, wants to be with us. He's, uh, he has this erotic, er eros kind of love for us. My mother uh, is a huge fan of an author by the name of Ernest Hemingway, um, who said, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase this a bit, if you want to write, it's simple uh, all you have to do is let your heart simply bleed. Now, what Hemingway meant is that in order to write well, you have to bleed from your heart. You have to just let your heart spill in a very unabandoned and reckless way. You don't hold or hide anything. Uh, so if you could do that, if you could be honest, do you think God loves you? Do you think God is passionate for you? Do you think God desires you? That he is absolutely, insatiably, uh, you know, just in love with you? Um, and in fairness, let's use God's definition of what love is. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13, right? For all of you uh, 
evangelicals out there uh, and um, fundamentalists, right? This would be the definition of love according to your God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And love never fails. So when the Bible says God is love, that means God is all these things found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's what love is, according to the Holy Spirit, which inspired men to write these things, right? So if you're going to say God is love, which was also written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then you have to say that this is what love is. Uh, now, I used a portion, but not all of verse 8, because I think the guys who stuck verses and, uh, and numbers in the text made a mistake. And I think that the love never fails part should uh, have been part of the original definition. So God is all these things. He's patient. He's kind. He, he uh, um, is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 5 uh, he always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres, uh, perseveres. And those are eternal attributes. And love, which is God, never fails. Uh, in the ideas of separation, the ideas of suffering, we get tangled up in all kinds of deprivation. John of the Cross, who is another mystic, said uh, that we lose ourselves in these entanglements. One commentator said the root of suffering is the deprivation of love. And I like that because love, especially from God's vantage point, it's not in deprivation. It's not in short supply. It's just misunderstood. Um, the Apostle Paul said, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. So the Apostle Paul says, I am praying that you could get this revelation in your hearts through faith. Um that you could grasp how enormous, how immense, how colossal God's love is. And that this love is so powerful and so just huge that it surpasses knowing. I love that. Uh, the Apostle Paul is also the guy who said, uh, 
we see through a glass darkly. Uh, But then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. So, uh, instead of seeing a deprivation of God, there is a personal deprivation of our ability to believe and to receive and to accept uh, the love of God. And man, this strikes me uh, to the core of who I am. Do you have any idea how much I love my wife? Do you have any idea how much I love my kids or how much I love my mother? Do you possibly know how much I love them? You can't fathom how deep, how intense. Can you possibly? I would contend you can't. I just spent days of uninterrupted time with my wife, of whom I love. And it was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it. I love being with her. Um, uh, Kent Dobson, who we're going to have on next week, um, wrote a book, Bitten by a Camel. In that book, he states, it cannot be true that God is less loving than I am. We are loved in this everlasting, incomparable, uh, incomprehensible, overabounding way. We are washed with this intense, unfathomable grace. We have a God whose um, His inexhaustible mercy, grace, empathy views us through the eyes of eros, views us through the eyes of agape love, and lavishes us with this enduring and accepting embrace. Now, agape, a word that we talked about a little while ago, which I'm sure you've heard, uh, but perhaps you've never meditated. It's used an astounding 320 times in the New Testament. Uh, while in the Greek culture, it's um, it's extremely limited, really, in everyday everyday language. And the reason for this is um, it's seldom seen. And it's a love that knows no bounds and contains no limits. Then consider that for a moment. A love without conditions, limitations, and restraint. Like this uh, like this beautiful song, right? Whose melody kind of creeps its way in and soothes um, our insecurities and our anxieties and our rage. Um, agape is this kind of irresistible love that permeates all that we are. Uh, it's a Greek word that doesn't really translate that well into English, right? We don't have a word that encompasses all that agape is. But for lack of a better phrase, it's love without dilution. It's ever enduring, never giving, always present, um, This is what God is. We want to make God this pious, ancient, stoic, stone figure of a thing. And that's not what God is. God is love. More than love, he is a feast of love. And that may seem irreverent to you, and that's okay. Uh, God loves us because... Not because we deserve to be loved, but because he is love.
Romans 5 and 8 says, God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 4, uh, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we were loved uh, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And the scriptures go on and on and on. Um, in fact, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, I'm pretty sure it's Romans 8, uh, he said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, uh, things present or in the future, or any powers, or height, or depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the, the, the reality is, can we accept that kind of love? The question is not a one that I think can be considered lightly. But instead, I think it's critically important. Do you think that God loves you? Now pause for a moment and consider what that might mean. Consider the question, does God love you? If the answer is yes, if the answer is no, how does that affect you? How does that affect your life now? How does that affect the things that happened in the past? How does it affect the things... Um, in the future or in eternity? If God loves you, according to the description that we read earlier, if God really loves you in a way that possesses no limits, then what does that do? It seems like it changes everything. It's the most significant attribute of you and I. God loves me. My opinion, for centuries, man, church, governments, uh, they've grappled and wrestled with the idea of God and who God is and, and, um, legalism and genocide and wars and burning witches and uh, intense cultural oppression, just all this bull crap. Just, I mean, you just, dude, I don't even know how to say it. It's just bullshit. I mean, that, 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 that is what it is. And no wonder that we struggle with who God is. No wonder we struggle with what God is. No wonder we struggle with, do I even want to be a Christian anymore? Do I even want to be a part of this anymore? Do I even want to deal and mess with, you know, sin and repentance and church and worship and baptism of the Holy Spirit and Pentecostalism and Calvinism and the Methodists and the denominations and just all the stuff, man, Who's right, who's wrong, who goes, who doesn't, hell, heaven. It just begins to be this whirling tornado of information. Um, 
that becomes really too hard for us to, to accept and to understand. And this lack of understanding it causes insecurity and anxiety and drama, fear and all sorts of darkness. Dude, I can't tell you what my honesty has cost me. Friendships. Long-standing friendships. Just because I say, I don't know if I believe in a hell. That has cost me. I was removed from a fellowship because of that. This is the kind of oppression that has crept into this God-man relationship. It is this self-mutilating myriad of abuse, some self-imposed, and others that has been uh, imposed or superimposed on others, where we can't even be honest, where we can't even associate with someone who doesn't think the way that we do because it might hurt our ministry. Dude, screw that. I'm so done with that. I, I can't even... Uh, it's just disgusting, honestly. Especially when you look at Jesus and the people that he eats with. You know, to invite someone to your table in the New Testament times was a form of acceptance. It was a form of love. It was a form of these people are my friends. And Jesus did this with the worst of the worst, the least of these. Um. And we could go on about some of the things that Jesus did that were so affirming, uh, people that were so dejected in his time. And then today, if someone doesn't believe exactly the way that we do, we disassociate. It's weird. But all of that aside, one of the most important questions you'll ever answer and research it if you if you have to meditate on it, um, pray, discuss it, tear it apart, dissect it. The answer, however, will rule your world. Does God love me? According to His definition of what love is, found in the Scripture. Does he keep no record of wrongs? Is that true about God? Does his love never, for an eternal amount, does it never fail me? Is that true about God? Will God always protect me? Is that true? If God is love, is that true about who he is? You know, it, it's interesting because the Bible says that Jesus... He's the image of the unseen God. And so if you want to know what God is like, then you look at Jesus, the person that he was here among us. The grace and the mercy and the compassion, the love, the embracing of those who had failed, the embracing of those who were uh, unacceptable. First John chapter 4 says, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. 
God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God is alive. He lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Now, <clears throat> I love this verse. This is out of the Bible, by the way. First John chapter 4. This isn't some uh, emergent Rob Bell, uh, New Age liberal take on the scripture either. This is straight Bible. And in the Bible, the writer says, our trust is in God's love. Right? And if we're afraid God doesn't love us, that's because we have not uh, fully experienced his perfect love. We, we've got, we need to be loved more. We need to open ourselves more. And, and this is where we began, I think, really, is do you believe God loves you? Do you accept that love in an in a unlimited way? Do you receive that love in an unlimited way? Besides all the things that everybody has said to you and about you and to you and, and all the denominations and the way that you've been dejected, you know, the, the, the prayers that didn't come true, that some pastor somewhere who didn't know any better said would and then they didn't and the marriage failed or the healing didn't show up or the job didn't come through or whatever. All that aside, does God love you? It's a simple question. But you got to answer that. If the answer's no, fine. It's no. Then get rid of him. Or if the answer's no, then fine. Figure out why you think that way. Some person somewhere told you that. Some book somewhere told you that. Some Sunday school teacher. And if they did, and if you're ready, maybe you should open your eyes and your heart uh, to a new definition of who God is, to a new idea, really, of who God is. If the answer is yes, God loves me, then begin to apply those attributes found in 1 Corinthians 13. Begin to apply those to God. This is who God is. God is patient. God is kind. God um, does not dishonor. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Um, he protects, he trusts, he hopes, he perseveres. God will never fail me, never let me go. Never let me falter. Never let me... No. God will not fail me. I really think that for a lot of us, man, and I know for myself, dude, totally, absolutely, my early ideas of who God was, 
absolutely horrible, right? Um, and I just wonder if you're like me. We're still trying to measure up. Well, then you have more love to accept. Are you still concerned about hell, the grave, the day of judgment, the rapture? Then you you have more love to accept. Um, and it may take us a lifetime to fully accept and receive and believe in this incredible love God has for us. Yet in accepting his love day by day, we begin to receive life, abundant life. In this state of being, we become students Um Maybe for our whole lives, students learning how much God loves us. This then um, really becomes this powerful truth. Not in the way that maybe we originally believed. Um, But instead, this mystical Savior who transcends the beautiful stories of what... um, used to fill the space and, and the present of who we were, now becomes this closer than a brother God who lives with us. This God in whom we live and breathe and move and have our being. Uh, the Bible calls us His bodily presence. Do you... No, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in your midst? He dwells in you. What's interesting about this is that so many of us, we feel so separated. <coughs> and the Bible continuing is uh, continually telling us we're not. We're closer than we ever possibly imagined that God even dwells within us. That our body is his very temple, that God doesn't abide in the heavens, that God doesn't abide in the throne room, but God abides in you and I. In this uh, incomparable, probably incomprehensible, undiluted um, glory. That we have a divine visitation in our innermost being. So that's it, man. Are we loved? Does the love of God heal us? Does it fulfill us? Does it complete us? Does it inspire us? Does it bring us peace? And if not, in what ways are we not accepting that God loves us? I mean, that's it. That's what it is. In what ways, if we have fear about whether or not we're going to make it to heaven, in what way are you not allowing God to love you? If we have fear that God is upset with us, in what way are you not allowing God to love you? If we have whatever fear you might have about your relationship with God, in what ways are you not allowing God to love you? And you got to begin to work on that. That's number one. That's the priority. All right, man. So that is it. Thanks for hanging out with me, man. I hope I said something. 
uh, or actually, I hope I said a ton of things really that were uh, valuable and precious to you. Uh, you and I, man, we're in this together, right? We are trying to get to a place where we are fully healed, where we uh, the rough spots are are smoothed over just a bit, and um, we are allowing the love of God. To really heal us of the hurt and the pain that comes from the separation found in this world. So that's it, man. Jump online. Share this podcast, please. Jump online if you haven't liked us already. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let me know that you're there. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. And we will see you next week. God bless you, man. Done.